0: Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We confess that Christ is King, that He rules over all heaven and earth, that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Him. We say as Christians that Christ, our Savior, our Great Shepherd, has come. We confess that all of God's blessings and promises are in Him. Yes and amen to us. We say that in Christ we have become the children of Of the living God and yet God's children still have to go through trials and troubles in this life and there are many reasons why the Lord sends troubles and trials into our lives in his love and wisdom he sometimes will use trials and troubles to strengthen our faith to draw us closer to him to build our dependence on Him, to expose our weakness, to maybe uh, help us to get detached from this world. And there are many, many reasons why you may do this, and we're not going to get into, we're not gonna get, get into that, too, that part of it too much this afternoon. We want to focus on the passage in front of us, um, and what we see in that passage is that whatever God's purpose may be in sending trials our way, we're never alone. As we continue our pilgrimage on earth, on the way to our final glory, our God walks with us, providing continual comfort in all our afflictions and even, in turn, uses those afflictions to be a blessing to others. And so our theme this afternoon, as we look at 2 Corinthians 1, uh, start verses 1 through 11, is this, we Christian pilgrims confess our comfort through our sufferings. And we say Christian pilgrims because we're all on a journey, we're traveling, we're on our way to the promised land, to our promised rest, and so we may address ourselves as pilgrims. We Christian pilgrims confess our comfort through our sufferings. We'll see three points. In the first place, our, the source of comfort. In the second place, the purpose of comfort. In the third place, the surety of suffering. But as we Christian pilgrims confess our comfort through our suffering, we see in the first place the source of comfort. And we begin this way because the Apostle Paul begins this way. He identifies himself um, as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, That is, an apostle being one sent, one who is commissioned by Jesus Christ. Uh, And Timothy, his brother, uh, and uh, he opens this letter in the customary way that letters were written in that time. He identifies himself as the author right at the very beginning. And next, he, ad- he identifies the addressees, the church of God, which is at Corinth. And Corinth was the capital city of the Roman province of Achaia. And then he extends his warmest greetings to them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord all the blessings of the Christian life summed up in these simple words and then he immediately bursts into praise in verses 3 to 4a he says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God." And Paul, as we said, begins his letter with praise to God, which is wonderful. We would all say, Amen to that. We would say, Great, uh, we should, uh, should all begin this way. But we have to pause and consider the context in which Paul writes this letter and these words, and the context is both surprising and instructive. You see, Paul was not writing this letter from his summer cottage, sitting by the lake somewhere, sipping a glass of aged wine, he, in, in, in the peace and safety and comfort. He's in constant danger at this point. In verse 8, he mentions the afflictions that they had experienced in Asia. Asia was another Roman province, Included in that province was the city of Ephesus. And Paul doesn't give us detail, he doesn't go into great details here, but we know from the book of Acts that in Ephesus there had been riots against him, floggings, prison, harsh verbal attacks against him. And so he mentions in verse 8 that they were burdened beyond their strength. And the language here is interesting. It pictures quite often uh, Greek or Hebrew, uh, it uses pictorial language, which images something for you. And so the language uh, pictures an animal like a donkey that is so heavily laden that it cannot go on. It's brought to its knees. It's unable to rise. And so Paul, by using this expression, is, is saying that their troubles that they faced on the mission field was... More than a human being could bear. It was so bad at times that they even, he says, despaired of life. It was so bad that they could see no way of escape. There were many times when they they thought to themselves, well, this is it. We're not going to get out of this alive. We are done for. In fact, in verse 9, he speaks of them having the sentence of death in themselves. Having the sentence of death in themselves. They they lived with that. It was in their minds and in their hearts that they were going to die for the cause of Christ and for the gospel. They saw themselves so deep in conflict with their opponents that it became obvious to them that the only way this would end was with their execution. And Paul could speak in verse 10 of God delivering them from deadly peril because they believed That they were as good as dead on the mission field. And that's not something perhaps we can understand fully until or unless we get to that point. Maybe we can look back on our lives at moments and times when we felt that we came close to death. Maybe we were in a car accident or we were very sick. And we we can look back on that and say, Yeah, I think I came close to death at uh, uh, at that point in my life. That's different, that's horrifying in itself, but imagine living with the conviction, with the belief that you are going to die, uh, that uh, there is no way out of this, there's no escaping. And so Paul could have begun his letter with a long list of complaints, an inventory list of all the troubles that he is going through, but he doesn't. He begins with praise. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does he do this? And that's why we said this is instructive. He does this because he recognized, as we all must, where our help comes from. He recognized that if the Lord had not been on his side, he would either at this point been languishing in some prison or dead. But instead, he was able to continue his work as a missionary for Christ. Moreover, while Paul and the other missionaries were fighting the good fight on the mission field, back at home, false teachers had also invaded the church. And they were bad-mouthing him, and they were planting doubt in him and the gospel he preached. In chapter 11, verse 13, he calls them false apostles, deceitful workers. And he compares them to how Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. That is, they, they transform themselves into apostles or ministers of righteousness. But they're really false teachings. They're uh, teachers, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And so, added to the anguish that Paul and the other missionaries were facing on the mission field, that is, from the hostility of people toward them was the added anguish over these false teachers coming into the churches that they had planted and implanting false doctrines into the minds of the believers. And yet, in spite of all of this, he begins with praise to the God who had been with him through all his troubles. And this God whom he addresses as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, this God is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Two things here, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. In the first place, we, he, we're reminded here that all mercy finds its source in the Father. We're reminded here that when we go through trials and troubles in our lives as as God's children, He never leaves us. Although it may feel like that for a time, He never leaves us to fend for ourselves, to paddle our own canoe, as we say. He takes pity upon us. as a Father takes pity upon His children. He sees our troubles and He draws near to act and to preserve and to provide for our need in that time. And indeed, Everything we receive, including comfort from God, is a product of God's mercy because which of us would say that we have earned any of God's blessings? God is a God of mercy. But Paul also says that God is the God of all comfort. And the word translated comfort refers to us coming alongside or standing alongside someone. God, in our times of trouble, He draws near to us. Not merely to to put a hand on our shoulder and say, there, there. But He provides the inner consolation that we need at that time. He upholds us in our troubles by the soothing influence of His Holy Spirit. When we think that our most terrible circumstances will drive us over the edge, God draws near with His comfort and He reminds us that not, not all is lost. I am still in control. I am your Father who is working all things together for your good. I am sovereign over all creation, all times and people and places. And notice here that Paul says that he is the God and Father, or the God of all comfort. He leaves no room for other comforters here. Indeed, all earthly comforters are what we might call the instruments, the tools, ultimately, of God's comfort. He uses people and things to comfort us in different ways. And so as we go through difficult trials in our lives, God will send along that one, and we can all maybe think of instances where this has happened. God sends along this one particular person or persons whom He uses in a very, very special, and a very tender, a very helpful way. And, and that person, and maybe, maybe lots of people come to us and they try to offer their encouragement, but there is that one person who just happens to say the right thing. And it might be a family member or a fellow believer. Sometimes it's even someone from outside Christian circles. I remember when I, was, I had my burnout and I was suffering terrible depression. Of all people, the person that, was, that offered the greatest words of comfort to me was my pagan barber. And who just put his hand on my, uh, hand on my shoulder and said, you're going to be good. You, you're going to be back on the pulpit again one day. That was the greatest. Of, uh, it lifted me up like nothing else. Uh, and, and this person God will send to tell you what you you just, and you realize that's exactly what I needed to hear at this very moment, what God is providing. Sometimes the Lord may even use our knowledge of Scripture, and so uh, as we go through difficulties in life, He will comfort us through our memory of, of precious verses that we have come to know and love, or favorite or familiar texts, from the Psalms, from the Gospels, from the letters of Paul. I remember years ago, when I was still a seminary student, I visited an, a widow, and uh, she told this story of, she said, when my uh, fiancé uh, was called off to war, this is during the Nazi invasion, she said, I... I was so worried about him. I didn't know if he would come back alive. And she said, every day, many, many times a day, I would recite to myself Psalm 91, verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side, a thousand at your right hand, but they will not come near you. And she said, it brought me the greatest comfort of all. Or or you hear stories of uh, Psalm 68 um, being very meaningful to the Dutch during the Nazi invasion. You hear many references to these kinds of things, right? Sometimes, but sometimes when we go through struggles, God will draw us to, back to, to scriptural passages or verses that are precious to us, especially maybe on our deathbed. Or even we, uh, we suffer personal attack, and we remember characters from the Bible. We think of Joseph. We think of Moses. Even Jesus himself. We suffer loss And God draws our minds back to Job, and we find solace in his story. We struggle with the the frustrations of personal sin. And again, our mind goes back to some character in the Bible who fell. Paul, even, who said, Wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death, right? Who, Who confessed the things I want to do that I don't do, the things I don't want to do, those are the things I keep on doing. We read that or we think about it and we find encouragement in it. Remember David, whom God did not abandon even though he sinned so grievously against the Lord. And we have hope again. All is not lost. That's God drawing near with His comfort. Sometimes God may comfort us with a, a song or a hymn or sermon. It might be just the sight of a dandelion bursting through a crack in the driveway that we just needed to see at that very moment that picks us up and gives us hope and encouragement again. And Paul reminds us that behind that, whatever the person or whatever event it is, behind that comfort stands the God of all comfort. He is the God who, as Psalm 103 says, pities us. As a father pities his children who knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. He is the God who promises in Isaiah 40, Comfort, yes, comfort my people. He is the God who promises in Matthew 5 verse 4, that those who mourn shall be comforted. He is the God who promised another helper or comforter in John 14 verse 16. That is, the Holy Spirit who who dwells in us as a constant reminder in our most difficult times, that yes, I am a child of God. The, this Holy Spirit lives in my heart as a seal or a guarantee that my salvation is sure. Our Heavenly Father, who loves us with a, a love undying in Christ, is the fount, He is the source of all comfort. He is able to match our every need with perfect consolation. No circumstance, No tragedy, no sin or fear can ever separate us from His love or surpass His power and grace. He is the source of all comfort. But as we Christian pilgrims confess our comfort through our suffering, we see in the second place the purpose of comfort. In other words, according to Paul here, and as we said, there are many reasons why God may send trials and troubles into our lives, but we're focusing on what is just in front of us. According to Paul here, why does God, what is the purpose of God comforting us? And in 4b, we read, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, here's a a bit of encouragement as we go through troubles and trials in this life. Maybe you're going through something very difficult in your life right now. You don't understand what is going on. How can this be good for me? Right? What is my father doing? Right? Here's some encouragement for us. God, through our trials and sufferings, is preparing us to be a blessing to someone else. Now, that doesn't solve all the problems, but I think we can find some consolation in that, some purpose in it. Our sufferings in this life do not only serve us, they're given to us that we, in turn, might serve our neighbor. That puts a different perspective to suffering, doesn't it? Trials and troubles, grief and stress are certainly not things we desire or pray for, May the Lord spare us from any kind of suffering. But here's some encouragement for us as God's children. Through our suffering, God is outfitting us to do kingdom work. And one of the weapons that He is arming us with to bring consolation to others is our own suffering. Because you see... The way we, uh, things work for us as human beings is we cannot really empathize with someone. That is, we can't feel someone's pain unless we know what pain feels like, right? Say, no one can console another person who is grieving, who has suffered the loss of passing away of a, of a loved one, of a, a spouse or a child, whatever it may be. No one can comfort that person like someone who has experienced that themselves? Who has walked that walk? Who understands the, the challenges of aging, right? Uh, hearing, sight, memory, mobility, the aches and pains of the body. Who understands that like an elderly person and who can minister to another person as they're getting older like someone who has, again, walked that walk? Have you been through cancer? Well, you know all about the fear. You know about the anguish that you felt worrying about what, is, what this is doing to your loved ones. And quite often you hear that, right? A person is very, very sick. They're gravely ill. And quite often, most often, their their concern is not for themselves. They will say to you, yeah, if, you know, if the Lord calls me out of this life, I know where I'm going. But my wife, my husband, my children, how is this going to affect them, right? You know, we, we think about that. A person who has gone through that understands and can minister to somebody else who is then diagnosed with something like cancer. Who is more qualified to speak to someone who has been uh, diagnosed with a a deadly illness like someone who has. Or or maybe it's something uh, like back pain or having to to, to have back surgery. Someone who is diagnosed with diabetes and the changes that's going to bring in your life. Stomach disorder. Morning sickness. Uh, miscarriage, right? There's so many things that uh, people in the com- in our congregation, they, they endure and they go through that they can turn around and be a blessing. <clears throat> who better to talk to a young man or a woman who is going to get married uh, about, uh, about patience in marriage, about thinking before you speak, you know, getting your priorities right. Who better to speak to a person Uh, to a young person who is going to get married than a person who has been married for a number of years and who has maybe made all the mistakes that couples do. Which of us has not raised at least one child who has been a challenge, who we pray so hard for every day and they still don't seem to be turning the corner and returning as we want them to? Or maybe it's a, a sibling or a relative Or even a parent. Well, as terrible as these things are. To to endure. To go through. According to this passage. We can then in turn be a blessing to someone who is going through the same thing. If we've struggled with some particular sin in our life. That has caused us a lot of frustration and even torments us. You know, anger, lust. Envy, discontent, greed, then we have been blessed then. If we have struggled through these things, then we have been blessed with credibility to minister to others who find themselves in the same boat. And and maybe part of the problem as Christians is that we don't talk about these things enough. We don't share our burdens enough. You know, the Bible tells us, confess your sins one to another you know, and yet we have these phrases in the reformed churches. You know, suffering silently. You know, there's lots of people who are worse off than I am, and so on. And we don't share our burdens with each other, right? Think about how many uh, people, men and women, they struggle through addictions, to pornography, and different things, all kinds of temptations but they won't talk about it. We don't share these things because these are all taboo subjects in the church. We don't talk uh, about these things as Christians, but maybe we ought to be talking about them because how then can we encourage others and how can we be encouraged if we don't talk, if we don't confess our sins one to another or we don't honestly say, hey, my husband is sick. Uh, It's taking a toll on me. It's weighing me down. It's wearing me down, right? How, how can we get uh, ministered to if we don't share that with others or, or reach out to others who, are, who we, we, we expect uh, are going through some kind of difficulty? Well, I you know, lost a loved one or I had someone, or a, a child who was uh, sick with a prolonged illness, so I, I expect that person is going through the same thing, so I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, hey, tell me how things are really going. Don't give me that, tell me the, the, the real facts here. You have to start thinking that way in the church. And, and one of the things we have to realize as Christians, the longer we live, is really how little we know. There are so many situations that you and I will meet that we, as much as we want to, we either don't know what to say or sometimes we end up saying the wrong thing. Right? You've heard those horror stories of people, you know, somebody had a miscarriage and they lost a baby or something and somebody says to them, with all good intentions, well, at least you have more children or, or uh, you know, uh, you can have more and those kinds of things. Well meant and yet like a dagger to the heart to the person who, has been, who is experiencing that. And so, you know, someone who has experienced it, who has suffered through something like that is the best one to minister to a person in that, in that uh, situation. I remember years ago, a few years ago, um, one of my neighbors, we stood and we watched his house burn to the ground. And I, you know, I sympathized with him, but I had never had my house burned down. I, I just felt this is, a, uh, this is the most horrible thing I've ever seen. I, I just didn't know what to say to him. I just said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, but I, yeah, I just didn't know what it felt like. Someone who had been in the same situation could minister to him much, much better than I. Or we visit people who are grieving or who are struggling or sick in some way. Uh, We do our best, and that's good, and we should. But thank God that there are people in our congregation who know what it feels like to lose a spouse, to go bankrupt, to, to, to face financial difficulty at the very least. Who has borne the physical, emotional, and spiritual stress of caring for a loved one with a prolonged illness. Who has suffered things like depression and anxiety. Thank God for those, for those of you. And again, this, this may seem weird, but as, as difficult as your life has been, whatever you have suffered, and we sympathize with that, for sure. But what a blessing that you can then be in turn a blessing to others. And thank God for you. And in itself, it seems, like I said, people on the outside would say, well, that's, that's bizarre. That doesn't seem like much consolation, but it is. Because when we go through difficulties and trials, as terrible as they may be, one of the things that we can ask ourselves is, I wonder how God is going to use this to be a blessing to someone else. And although God forbid that the terrible things happen in our lives, what we learn here is that there is always a purpose. We can't see it at the time, but God knows, and He sees. And then He sends us to someone. And then we can genuinely say to that person, I know how you feel, because I re- because you really do at that point, right? I, I know what you're going through, because I have been down this road. You can even tell them what to expect in the coming Days and hours, whatever it may be. And, and we, could, we could say to someone who is going through a terrible trial that perhaps we have endured, Hey, you know what? God is good. And I can tell you that with the fullest of confidence. Right? We can go to them in their sufferings with the promises of God and say to them, Hey, God will never leave you nor forsake you. I know that personally because He never left nor forsook me. You can say to a person, hey, nothing will ever separate us from God's love because I'm standing here right in front of you, telling you, testifying that His love never uh, was separated from me. This is not to say we go to people and we say, you know, as the world would say, oh, you got this, and this too will pass, and, uh, you know, all the things that people say, you know, uh, uh, look deep in yourself. And find strength. And and if I can do it, you can do it. We're not saying that at all. Absolutely not. We're going with uh, the consolation that God has given to us. We can say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Because that is what got me through. And I'm standing here right now. Right here telling you that God's love never fails. And again, congregation, if we're not thinking this way, we need to. We need to start because when the Lord brings us through difficulty, again, this is according to this passage, it leaves us with an obligation to our neighbor. We are then indebted to the next person who suffers what we have suffered. The purpose of God's comfort in our suffering is that we might in turn comfort others in theirs. But as we Christian pilgrims confess our comfort through our suffering, we see in the third place the surety of suffering. In verse 5, Paul says, "For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We're reminded here that Christians also suffer, if there were any doubt up to this point. Christians share, in fact, in the sufferings of Christ. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean suffering for sin. That was a once and for all work that only Christ could do, and He has done it. But when we bear His name, when we are His children, the rejection that He experienced, the hatred of the world, the hostility, even, the vi- even violence at times, flows into our lives because we belong to Him. And this ought not to ever surprise us. In John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, remember that they hated me first. Paul speaks of the fellowship of Christ's sufferings in Philippians 3, verse 10. He writes in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, that all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, verse 13, to rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. And again, because we are united to Christ, because we bear the name Christian, we can expect suffering in this life. If we truly deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Christ every day, we can expect to be despised, to be scorned, to be mocked by the world we'll be on the receiving end of unfair treatment, just as our Savior was. And if we don't, then maybe we have to to wonder if we have made too much of a good friend with the world. But there's also, as we said, the the physical, emotional, even the spiritual trials of life. And, And we're not speared from these things even as the children of God. We still live, after all, in this fallen world with these fallen bodies, subject to the effects of aging and disease and sin. There'll be times in our lives of confusion because we're just not sure what God's will for us is at this time and through this. There'll be times of frustration. But when we do, when we go through these difficulties, we may be reminded that the God of all comfort will comfort us in our Troubles. In verse 7, Paul says, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is certain. It is reliable. It is unshakable. God will console us no matter what. Trial, temptation, sorrow, conflict, persecution, will always be met with God's peace and hope. Weeping may last for the night, but joy will come in the morning. Amen.